so I wanted to begin this morning um, with a, a statement. Jesus sat so that we could stand. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he sits so that we can stand in this earth. That's what the word says. When you've done all to stand, keep on standing. Spiritually, we are seated with him. We're spiritually seated with him. But here on earth, we stand. We keep on standing. We keep on moving forward. Amen. And so he sat so that we could stand. And he sat down because it was all done. He sat down because he completed what he was sent to earth to do. Amen. It was done. It is finished. The victory was won. And so now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So on this earth, if we are exposed to danger or to threat or whatever it is, we don't stand alone. Amen. We don't stand alone. This is the message of the covenant. We do not stand alone. Amen. We have a covenant friend with us. He sticks closer than a brother. Amen. So that's good news this morning, isn't it? God's word says that perilous times will come. Times of danger will come. Um, it, danger will lurk just around the corner. Perilous times means that we will not have the comfort or the buffer of time because perilous times mean that there's an immediate danger or an immediate threat. And the Bible says that those times will come. There will be no place on earth that will be exempt from those times coming. It's going to cover the face of the earth. There's nowhere that people will be able to run to. So we need to know, hey, where would you rather be? In a covenant with, with, with the Lord? Then it doesn't matter where you are. You're in covenant. Amen? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, I want to back that up. It says, know this that in the last days, perilous times will come. Times of great stress. Great stress and difficulty. Terrible times. But thank God we've got a covenant-keeping God. And um, he knows, just like in the days of Noah, that there will be no hope. There will be no help. There will be no provision for those who do not have a living relationship with the Lord. That's what it was like in the days of Noah. And so, thank God that he's made room for people. He made room for us. It's like, it's like being able to go onto an ark, so to speak. He made room for us to step into his covenant. The flood that the world experienced in the past will never be repeated again because God promised he would never flood the earth in that way again. Amen? But the flood, I, I believe that the flood that we will experience is the flood that everything else that 2 Timothy 3 mentions, a flood of hatred, a flood of, of pride, self-love, people despising other people, um, people with no forgiveness in their hearts for people, people that slander others, all of these kind of things. So I think that 
These are the waves that we see coming through society and through the world via wars, discrimination, um, genocides, all of these different things. And we know this is all happening right now on our watch church. Amen. And so, will we stay loyal to the faith and be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Thank God for his grace. Amen. Amen. Where would we be without it? And will we be able to endure hardships? The Bible says, will we endure hardships as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so, for us to be able to endure and for us to stay loyal, I think we need to understand the blood covenant really well and really deeply, and that's what we've been teaching on the last couple of weeks. So, one of the keys to living victoriously is understanding the blood covenant. And um, we've got to know what our rights are underneath that covenant. And so, has anyone here ever tasted victory before? You've really worked hard for something and you've tasted victory. Maybe you ran a marathon. Maybe you did something else. Maybe you achieved something and it was, maybe you got a job and you'd like, you'd been struggling, you were jobless and you got a job. What is, what was victory like? What was that moment like? You savor it. It's so sweet. And Jesus Christ won the victory for us so that we could enjoy that victory every day. Now, it might not feel like that. I know I don't feel victorious every day, but he won the victory for us. And so when we go into the blood covenant, we start reading about it and understanding it. We begin to understand. We begin to build our lives. Build our lives. I think that's a song we might sing later. Build our lives on the foundation of God's word because this is where his covenant is laid out for us. And so when the storms of life come, we'll be able to stand. And those storms, man, they can batter. A few weeks ago, if you'd driven past the church, you would have seen a tree resting against the side of the the roof. And do you know why the tree fell over? The tree fell over not because of the storm, but because the roots were diseased. So the tree had turkey tail disease, um, which is like a root disease. So the tree was weak in the roots, and the storm pushed the tree over. So when this doesn't, you know, if we are rooted and grounded, that storm can come, but it won't, won't blow you over. It won't blow you, won't blow you away. Amen? So if we don't take care of our foundation... If our foundation in life has no integrity, when the storm comes, we're going to go down. So it's our prayer, it's our desire to see this church, all of you strong, all of us strong, in a, a founda- in, with a good foundation. Amen? I mean, this building's been, been here. We had an electrician out here the other day looking at some problems. And I know that underneath this wooden floor, there's a concrete platform that goes from that wall all the way to the back of the creche. Now, that concrete platform was probably laid in the early 1980s. But that concrete platform is not going to be there forever. Eventually, it will, it will be subject to the movement in the soil. We, you've been, we're sitting here at 7 o'clock in the, in the morning on a Wednesday praying, and an Arctic goes by. Who can, what happens to the building? The whole building shudders when, an, when a lorry goes by. So I know that this is, although it's keeping the walls up and the roof on and everything, 
that it's not going to last forever, but there is a foundation that is everlasting, and that's God's Word. It's never, it's always going to be there. Amen? And so, um, we've, we know God keeps covenant, and His covenant keeps us. Amen? So, I want to ask a question this morning. What has our response to threat, to danger, to peril, someone gives you a bad report, to an accusation, someone gives you a withering word? I came, a, came across this phrase a few weeks ago, and I, and I find it to be so appropriate. Some people speak words into your, their, your life that just gently wither you away. You just wither away, a withering word. You know, I'd rather you just like give me it like straight between the eyes. Instead, people speak words that wither you. You just like slowly dry up. And if you asked yourself these questions this morning, what your response has been, what would most of us say? Fear. Fear. When these things come against us, our response is fear. Do you remember young David? He goes with the cheese and the bread to the front line. His brothers are there. Goliath, 11 foot tall, He's come out twice a day. He's mocking and taunting and everything. And David gets there. And he looks around and he takes stock of the situation. And David is shocked by the response of his brothers and the whole Israelite army. He's shocked, completely shocked, because they were all full of fear. They're all full of fear. David, on the other hand, he's 17. He's growing up out in the pasture with his father's flocks, the lion, the mountain lion, the bear, whatever has come against him, he's protected the sheep. He's skilled at what he does. And while he's out there doing all this, he's meditating on God's word. Maybe he's reading through Genesis like 14 to 17, and he knows the covenant. And he's like, ah, hang on. I know that in my, I descend from a a man called Abraham, I'm a descendant of Abraham, and he made a covenant with God. And that covenant applies to me. And so he knew that when he got there, and it's a great story, you should read it. You can read about it in Samuel. He knew, do you know what? I don't have to stand for this giant, bring in all this. Neither does my nation, but I know, I'm assured that God will be behind me when I go and I face up to this giant. Amen? God would not let him down, and he was going to settle the score with this giant. And um, if you read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David's word tells us exactly where he placed his trust. So go to 1 Samuel 17 verse 45, and it says, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Think about that. This day, who's going to deliver Goliath? The Lord. The Lord's going to deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword and a spear because the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Amen? So, it's not David in his strength and his might that delivered Goliath. He didn't go there and say to Goliath, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to settle the score. He said, today, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And there's a big difference when you face up to your enemy or your giant. You can face up to him on your own strength if you want and say, I'm going to deal with this, or you can trust God to do it for you. Who would rather trust God? Amen. Okay. Bill, turn the heating down at the back there, just in case we all get too warm. <laughs> Amen. So, the battle is the Lord's. So, this amazing event brings Saul's focus on to David. He's like, who's this young guy? Who is this guy that's just come and stood up to this giant? And the word says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So, here's this seen on the battlefield, and all of a sudden, David, out of, out of obscurity, is now in the eyes of the king, and he's recognized by the king's son, Jonathan. Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him, him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe might remember last week, me and Craig doing the figure of eight here and everything. He took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So this is what we did last week, the giving of a robe, all right? And not just any robe. Remember who Jonathan was. He was heir to the throne. He was a prince, okay? He was a prince, so in essence, what was being bestowed upon David there was rulership of Israel. That's what was being given to him. We all think, oh, they just became good buddies. They all just became friends. But that robe signified that the prince heir to the throne was giving that to David to walk in that same authority, the rights, all of that kind of stuff. Amen? So, um, so, David and Jonathan made a covenant. Now, this story is going somewhere to a very famous story. But David and, covenant, David and Jonathan became the heads of that covenant union together. So all of their descendants would also come under that covenant. Amen? So 17 years of age, Saul promotes David to the commander of, his, of the army. And David goes out and he just, he just takes care of the enemies of his country, of his nation, all right? He subdues them, particularly over the Philistines. And um, you all know the story. Eventually, a terrible jealousy rises up in Saul because David is taking the limelight. He is now the main guy. He is, he's out there as the commander of the armies and he's going for it. And people are singing David's praises more than Saul's praises. He gets very jealous. And, um, 
But the truth was that David was anointed. The anointing had lifted from Saul, and it went on to David. And so um, David becomes a wanted man, and he's hunted by Saul for years and years and years. He's going from place to place. He's hiding in caves, hiding in forests, hiding in other lands, all this kind of thing. Saul has got a target on his back, so he's away out there. So just before he flees for good, he wants to kind of give Saul one last chance to know if Saul will receive him back. And you might know the story where David goes and he hides behind a rock in a field. And um, Jonathan says, I'm going to shoot arrows with my armor bearer. And if the arrows fall to his one side and I say, go and get them, it's a sign to you that my dad, Saul, he still wants to kill you and he's after your life. But if my arrows go beyond him, then that's a sign that all is well. You can come out of hiding and you can come and, uh, and, and everything will be okay. The message was, unfortunately, that he couldn't go back. He had to stay in hiding. So from that moment, that would have been the last time that he ever seen Jonathan because... Um, um, later on, Saul, Jonathan, and Jonathan's brothers would be killed in battle, okay? So, um, let me see if, uh, can I read this bit? Oh, here we go. 1 Samuel 20, um, go to verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city, okay? So they never meet again, but this covenant is now solidified between them, okay? So this story, I said all of that to lead into a time in David's life when he eventually becomes king, his enemies are all subdued, and everything is at peace, and he begins to remember Jonathan, and he begins to think on the covenant with Jonathan. And um, it leads us into this beautiful picture of the, of the advantages of being in a covenant. So would you go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 4, please? 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan had a, Jonathan had a son. His son's name was Mephibosheth. Can everyone say Mephibosheth? <laughs> <laughs> Mephibosheth, I practiced that all week. Jonathan, who was Saul's son. So Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson, okay? Jonathan had this son. 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse... A lady called Ziba, took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. So she's carrying the child. He's five. And he somehow falls from her grip and he breaks his legs and he becomes lame. Okay? His name was Mephibosheth. So the nurse, you might ask, why is she fleeing? Well, first of all, she was probably panicked. She knew the history of Saul and David, 
and she knew what had happened at Jezreel. Saul fell on his own sword because he didn't want the Philistines to, to come and abuse him. And his armor bearer, he asked, actually asked his armor bearer to, to run him through, and he wouldn't. So they both ended up falling on their own swords. But anyway, here's David now on his way back. And this, this servant is petrified that when David gets there, he's going to deal harshly with Saul and all of Saul's servants and family and everything else that's there. So she flees. He's made lame. And they end up going to a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. Now, Lodabar, some of you will know, Lodabar is a place, it means a place that is dry, barren, pastureless. Okay, that's what Lodabar is. Lodabar represents a place of hopelessness. Has anyone ever been in a Lodabar before? So Lodabar, this is, so, this is such a beautiful story, really. Okay, so they go to Lodabar. David is thinking about Jonathan, and Jonathan has a son called Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. David says, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is, there's still a son of Jonathan, who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Right, so can you imagine, here's Mephibosheth, and uh, he's there, and... All of a sudden, there's this huge dust cloud, noise, hoofs, and chariots coming to this place, Lodabar, to come and get him. He's probably thinking, uh-oh, my time's up. They found me. They found my hideout. They know where I am. So David never sent people there, like, just go quietly and go and get him. He sends horses and chariots and men. Amen. When Mephibosheth has brought the son of Jonathan has brought back to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And, and then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. He's flat on the ground. He's like totally prostrate. He's like, I'm totally surrendered. You, you, you have all, all power over me. All right. Because he's like in this place of hopelessness thinking, David's just got it in for me, okay? But David says to him in verse seven, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. Continue. This is very significant. Four times, I think, four times in this passage, David says, you're going to eat bread at my table. All right? You're going to eat bread at my table. Mephibosheth bows himself and says, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? What a hopeless, what his self-esteem, everything was like, I'm just a dead dog. 
And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But your son, but Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So all of this crowd that were with Mephibosheth are all now under the umbrella of the covenant, enjoying life at the palace, at, at David's place, okay? Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth, all right? He is now eating at the table of the king, lame in both feet, but eating at the table of the king. Mephibosheth must have been in absolute awe of what had happened to him. He comes from Lodabar, where who knows what it was like there, but if it was dry and pastureless, it wouldn't have been much fun. And now he's at the table of the king. Amen? And when you're at the table of the king, who else was at the table of the king? David's sons, all right? They're all there. You're at the table of the king. Mephibosheth must have felt, perhaps felt inferior, unworthy, intimidated, I mean, can you imagine David's other sons glowering at him from across the table, you know? Who's, who's this guy? But the realization soon sets in. Mephibosheth realizes, I have a right to sit at this table because of my dad's covenant with David. And this is where it gets really powerful. I have a right to enjoy the pleasures of the palace. I have a right to be protected by the king's guard, by the army. Amen. I have the same rights and privileges as David's sons who are sitting at this table with me. Amen. Does this start to speak to you? And if you ever thought you were unworthy and you didn't deserve it and you had no right, when you're in a covenant with the Most High God, you have a right. You have a right. Because of the kindness of the covenant with Jonathan, this man comes from a barren place to the palace. He's loved as much by David as he was by his own father. Amen? And you know what the, the amazing thing is? Mephibosheth had nothing to do with the fall that caused him to be lame. He had nothing to do with that. He was dropped. Does anyone here feel like they've ever been dropped before? He had nothing to do with it. He wasn't he wasn't anything to do with that, but he was literally carried to the table on the strength of a covenant that was struck when he wasn't even there. So this covenant, he's like, I wasn't even there at the time. It wasn't my fault that I'm lame in both my legs, yet it crippled him terribly. And I want you to think about this this morning. We had nothing to do with the fall of Adam and Eve. We weren't there. We weren't there when that happened, but we also were hobbled by that. We were lame. We, we were crippled by sin because Adam and Eve fell, and sin robs us of the ability to sit at the table. Whose table? The Lord's table. So, but what happened, praise the Lord? Jesus invites us to sit at his table. He said, that doesn't matter how crippled you are, 
doesn't matter how broken you are, you will be carried to my table to sit with me at my table. Just makes me want to cry because it's like just the compassion of, of Jesus. Just like you're going to come and you're going to sit at my table and I'm going to make sure you can get there because I'm going to give my own blood on the cross so that you're redeemed from, your, from Lodabar and you can come now to the palace of the king. Amen. There's Christians today, born-again, spirit-filled Christians still living in Lodabar. Oppressed, they feel oppressed. Lonely, they feel rejected. They're full of confusion. They can't think straight. They're stricken by poverty and by sickness. And it's because I believe, and I'm preaching to myself, we don't have a heart understanding of the blood covenant. We need to understand the blood covenant. It, has it registered with us that the covenant promises and blessings are ours, church? They're ours like, they're ours. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, that's us, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We have inherited all that God owns, and we are equal as heirs with Christ. Equal. <laughs> the, Bible, the Bible actually says above angels. It's incredible. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. From the back of the church to the front of the church, that's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves us. Galatians 4, 7. So then you're no longer a slave, but a child. And since you are his child, God will give you all that he has for his children. I'm just going to wrap up this message this morning with a few scriptures. Just soak these up. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus completed his mission. He sat down. He's taken his seat. It's all finished. We are seated with, with Christ in the completed victory of all that he has conquered for us. Amen. And you know what? Like Thomas, he's sitting there with the scars of the covenant on his body, his hands, his feet, his side, his body, the scars of the covenant from where blood and water poured out of his body, those scars still signify that he's a covenant-keeping Savior. Amen. And he's there. One day, one day we will see, we will see these things. And Thomas says, Lord, I, can't, I won't believe until you show me the covenant scars. And then what happened? Jesus says, well, there, look. And Thomas says, Thomas says you are the Lord. You are, you, are, you are Christ, the Savior. Amen. And so he's conquered for us. Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. 
We love him in 1 John 4. We love him because he first loved us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So what's our response going to be in future if we really embrace the covenant and, and understand it? Our response doesn't need to be one of fear. I think fear is probably the most crippling thing in our society today. Fear puts people on to all sorts of medication. Fear causes people not to want to leave their homes. People causes, fear causes children. I work with pupils. I should see some of the pupils that I work with. They are so timid. They, they, they just look like they cower. And, and you can see them. It's as if they're separated. Work with many pupils, but I want to say, we need to press in in prayer for our young people, for our schools, for our school system, our teachers. We need to press in. There's, there's, there's a flood. The flood that is coming is already well on its way to just sucking the life out of young people and old. It's of no respecter of persons. But John 16, 23 says, in that day, in that day, you will ask me nothing because I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Last one, 2 Corinthians 2, 14, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. You all are a sweet-smelling fragrance. And wherever you go, you can carry the fragrance of Christ with you. Wherever you go. Wherever you go, give off the fragrance of Christ. God is fighting our battles. Our part is to simply praise Him for it. Stand up and praise Him. Lift your hands to Him. Thank Him. These are the things He conquers on our behalf. Lord Jesus, if you are doing, if you have done your part, I'm going to do mine. And that's all he asks us to do. I've done my part. Will you guys, will you do yours? Thank you for joining us today. Uh, for future content, please subscribe. And if anything spoke to you or was relevant to you, please leave a comment. If you want to find out more about the church, how to support the ministry or connect with us, then go to bridge-church.com. So until next time, thank you for joining us and goodbye.